In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're reaching that point just before the beginning of Lent. Meat fair is finished. Maybe we'll stretch it this evening. Maybe we'll dig into the back of our fridges and find what left of the meat there is. Maybe there'll be one last blast down the restaurant to see whether we can eat a little more food that's meat-based. And then we're going to spend the week eating as many pancakes as we possibly can. I see the nods around, nodding ferociously. We are in danger, of course, as we prepare for Lent, of making Lent perhaps the world's largest first world problem, as we think mostly about our stomachs and make God perhaps too domesticated. We make God in the image of the kitchen maid. All we're worried about in making our Lent is to make sure that we fast correctly and that we're making our Lent correct and right. And we've done so in the last few weeks on the basis that God is a compassionate and loving Lord. And those who know this parish well know that I preach ferociously that God is a compassionate and loving Lord. And every year I get caught out by this week's scriptures because this Greek scripture tells us quite clearly that God is a judging God as well. God is judgmental. God does come in the last times to judge us. But how does he judge us? We are also at this time in our Lenten and our parish practice working our way slowly through the divine liturgy and we reach this divine liturgy point in the divine liturgy where we are following the uh, anaphora we have heard the prayer the hymn holy holy lord of sabaoth heaven and earth are full of your glory and the prayer of the priest that comes immediately afterwards with these blessed powers o lord who loves mankind we cry aloud And I want to focus in at the end of that prayer. We learnt last week about what the meaning of the whole dispensation that Christ had fulfilled for us. The thousands of year old plan that God had created for our salvation. That dispensation that he had prepared through the centuries for us to arrive at this point, at this moment for our salvation. In the night in which he was given up, continues the text, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world, he took bread in his holy, pure and blameless hands, and when he had given thanks and blessed and sanctified and broken it, he gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you for the remission of sins. And the text continues, and I'll come back to this later. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. In the night in which he was given up, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world, he took bread in his hands. 
and offering it to you, said, Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is broken for you. As we prepare for Lent, we've so focused on making sure that we get the words right, the, the food right, that we forget the other two parts of our Lenten practice, which is fasting, praying, and giving to the needy. And this last Sunday before Lent starts next week, and Sunday forgiveness is the start of the true part of Lent, but all of this is our preparation. As we begin to fast, it is part of our spiritual discipline. Lent is not about fasting. That's the start of it. That's the thing that gives us the strength to do the other two parts. The thing that prepares us. It's like going on a special diet in order to run a marathon and then sitting back and watching TV, watching other people doing the marathon, isn't it? You set up your body to prepare to run the marathon by eating all those special power diet food and then watch other people run the marathon. Lent is about prayer and giving to the needy and looking after the people who need help. Because the Lent is about prayer. Lent is about finding God in other people. And particularly the people who are not Christian. I met a young man this week who is a Christian, doing his best to be a Christian, insofar as he knows what it is to be a Christian, getting scraps of Christianity perhaps from his own congregation, I don't know, but certainly scraps of Christianity from the internet. And he's a well-meaning young man, but he genuinely thought that God only loves people who are Christian, that already had given their life and their faith to God. And he was distancing himself from his friends who are not Christians because they were sinners. He couldn't bear to spend time with his friends because they were being sinful. Not, they're not bad people. They're just doing things that are not Christian things. They were not giving their life to, of faith. But they were not horrible people. They were kindly people. But they were not doing godly things. And he, poor soul, genuinely thought that God couldn't bear to look on them and that he should distance himself from them because for him to be a Christian would be to separate himself from them because he had not been taught that God had made each one of them, even if they had been terrible sinners, awful sinners, even if they had been prostitutes and harlots, even if they had been murderers, they were still made in the image and likeness of God and were still beloved by God. Somehow, in all the mishmash of stuff that we get about Christianity on the internet. He had learnt that to be a good Christian was to separate himself from the world and to create a little bubble around himself of holiness. And all he had to do was pray really hard and to think holy thoughts 
and therefore he would become a good Christian. Had he been orthodox, he probably would have also fasted perfectly and checked out all the best orthodox fasting food and replaced all of his meat burgers with tofu burgers, carrying on eating exactly the same Western-style food but replacing all the meats with other fake proteins. But that's not Christianity, my dear brothers and sisters. That's not the fast. That's not Lent. You can do what you like with the food, as we heard in the epistles. You can eat what you like. That's not the beginning or the end of the fast. As long as you don't tempt somebody else into falling away from the fast. You might find yourselves in one of the endless restaurants in town or in six fields as long as you don't bump into somebody else who's trying the fast and tempt them away from the fast at least if you find yourself someone with a fast at least invite them to a decent vegetarian meal while you're at it or at least don't go gossiping about your priest has been eating burgers on the six fields okay there might be a good reason why he's doing so Gossip is perhaps worse than the breaking of the fast. But the fast, the Lent, is about redoubling your prayers and redoubling the reaching out to the least amongst us. In the Gospel, we hear of the Last Judgment. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him he will sit upon the throne of his glory and before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate them from one another this is the judgment that we come to expect and it will happen god will be judgmental god will separate the sheep from the goats he will separate us according to our works, not according to our beliefs or our holy thoughts. But how would he do so? Not because we fasted well. There's nothing in here, in this text of Matthew, that says anything to do whether you ate a burger on a Wednesday or not. It says, Who shall inherit the kingdom? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the truly righteous said, When were you sick? When were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you a stranger? When were you naked? When were you in prison? I didn't notice the you. I didn't know you. I didn't know that it was you. But every time we do something good, not because you are a Christian, but because simply you are naked, because you are hungry, because you are thirsty, because you are sick, because you are in prison. Whenever we minister to somebody, no matter what their moral status is, no matter what they've done, doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. 
That is when we are ministering. That is when we are keeping the Lent, when we are keeping the fast, when we are looking after the body, when we are looking after the person. The human body is ultimately utterly precious because Jesus Christ, at the moments before his crucifixion, in the middle of the night, after supper, not immediately after supper, as many people say, I can go to church and take the Eucharist on a full stomach because it says in the Gospels, after supper, Jesus broke bread. But in the middle of the night after the supper, in the night in which he was given up, or he gave himself up for the life of the world, he took bread in his holy and blameless hands. And this is important bread, because every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we refer to this bread. In the Lord's Prayer, we use a particular special word. In English, we say, give us this day our daily bread. In Greek, ton aton imon ton epiousion. Forgive me, I've mispronounced it. But I say it loudly and clearly and carefully. Epiousion. It's an odd word. It's a strange word. Because it appears nowhere else. No other reliable text uses this word. It's not a Greek word. Although it's used always in the Greek text. In the scriptures it's used nowhere else. It doesn't mean daily. There's another word for daily. Hemaron, I think, is the word. I haven't written it down, as I always never write stuff down when I prepare these. But I think there's a Greek word which they use, I think the word is hemaron, or something similar to that, that uses the word daily. Epiusion doesn't exist in any other text, in scriptures, or even any other written text of the time what is this strange word that appears in the Lord's Prayer is it a special word that's a a text or a graffiti word or a a word coined to translate from the Aramaic because of course Christ would have given us the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic all the other words of course in Greek the translation from Aramaic into Greek are Greek words common um, koiner Greek words that were relatively easily recognisable. But epuision doesn't mean daily. And yet in our English translation it's give us this day our daily bread. Give us our day, give us today our daily... It doesn't make English grammatical sense either. In its original translation into Latin there were two options. Give us this bread that happens every day. Or a a second option, which doesn't trip off the tongue quite so easily. Give us this day our super substantial bread. You can tell that it's not quite as snappy, is it, as daily bread. Give us this day our essential bread. Give us this day the bread that we need. Not just the bread that we pick up, it's cheap, it's sliced, it's light and fluffy and we throw it away. 
but give us this day the bread that we desperately need, that is essential for us, the food that we rely on. What is being referred to here? Of course, Jesus Christ gives us the Lord's Prayer long before the Last Supper, long before the Eucharist, long before the Divine Liturgy. But as we say the Lord's Prayer, we're not asking for daily throwaway bread. We now know that we're asking not for any old bread, but for the bread of life, the body of Christ, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving bread, the essential bread, the manna bread, the bread that is the body of Christ. As we begin Lent, we look after the body. Our fast, whether we fast vegan, whether we fast with fish, as is the Russian tradition, whether we fast with tofu, however we go about that fast, the fast itself is not important, or is important insofar as it prepares us for prayer, more prayer more fervent prayer. And that prayer in itself is not important if it leads nowhere, if it does not turn into action, if it does not turn into care for the body. Not for my body. My body's not important. Our bodies are not important. But the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is to be found in the Eucharist, of course, The body of Christ is to be found in Hugh, the congregation, the laos. But the body of Christ is also to be found in the world. The body of Christ is to be found in the sick, the suffering, the dying, those in distress and those in need, those for whom we pray, those people who don't yet know Christ. Because God made the world and saw that it's good. And he placed his image and likeness in every person. Not just you, my brothers and sisters. You are blessed to have and to know Christ. But your job is to take, to be the body of Christ. And to go out and to bless the world. And to look at all those people who have not had the blessing to know Christ. And to go out and to reach out and to touch those people and to bless them, and to pray for them, and to look after them. And not to be like that young, poor poor young Christian who thinks that to be a Christian is to be a self-replicating bubble of holiness, a self-referring bubble of holiness. Oh, aren't I a wonderful person? I'm a good Christian, but I'm going to separate myself from all that is evil. No. The fast is of no consequence to you if it does not provoke you to action to go out and to be the body of Christ in the world. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you for the remission of sins. Let's leap forward to the passion of Christ and his resurrection. He didn't die on the cross and resurrect for nothing. He died on the cross and was resurrected, is resurrected for our salvation and the salvation of the world. 
not just for us, but for all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.